Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Young Gunners podcast presented by Texas Young Lawyers Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. I'm your host, Reggie Wilson. I'm a public finance attorney in Houston, Texas with Norton Rose Fulbright. In season five, we'll be focusing on war stories, overcoming challenges and learning from our mistakes. In this episode, I will be speaking with Ray Pennington about his war stories as a practicing attorney and how he overcame those challenges. Ray is the managing partner at Ted Smith Law Group, PLLC, located in Harker Heights, Texas. Ray, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Reggie. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, like you mentioned, I'm the managing partner at the Ted Smith Law Group at Harker Heights, Texas. It's a boutique litigation firm in Bell County, which is kind of the heart of Texas uh, between Austin and Dallas. Um, As with most firms in this area, we are a boutique litigation firm, meaning we pretty much handle a wide range of issues. Um, Our firm specifically is everything other than uh, criminal and immigration. Uh, I started my practice, however, in Houston, uh, where I went to law school and and graduated from Thurgood Marshall in 2013 and got licensed that same year. Um, I started my practice doing plaintiff's medical malpractice, and not only medical malpractice as a niche, but a niche of a niche doing exclusively birth trauma litigations. Um, So most of what we were doing were brain damage baby cases, you know, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy cases, or uh, brachial plexus injury cases. Uh, From there, I expanded my practice within that firm a little bit to do um, a little bit of mass torts and pharmaceutical medical device litigation. Um, And with this firm, I was, you know, handling cases from intake through trial kind of all over the country. Um, Birth trauma being a niche of a niche, we would often handle cases as local counsel or co-counsel in a number of different jurisdictions. Um, of course, practicing medical malpractice in Texas is uh, a little risky, and I got a little bit of cold feet and completely switched my practice area um, from doing plaintiff's medical malpractice to doing business and corporate litigation. Um, and I did that for a number of years before moving out uh, into rural central Texas and doing what I'm doing now. So, Ray, what led you to the legal profession? Simply put, the reason I went to law school was because when I was at Baylor doing my undergraduate work, uh, I wasn't doing so hot in chemistry 101. Um, And it was well impressed upon us that if you wanted to go to medical school, you're uh, undergraduate academic order. Um, So I started getting a little nervous about that. So I started looking at different alternatives for me, Uh, started doing a little introspection, you know, my likes, my dislikes, things I was passionate about, and all those answers kind of gravitated towards the legal side of things. Um, And at this time, uh, I went from Baylor from uh, 2006 to 2010. At that time, there wasn't a pre-law program at Baylor. So it was a lot of just kind of trying to figure it out on myself, talking to professors, and just taking a hodgepodge of classes that I thought and my professors thought would maybe be a good fit to kind of assess whether, you know, law school was something for me or not. And it ultimately worked out really well. And I ended up uh, going to law school. So you finish up at Baylor, you attend Thurgood Marshall School of Law, you're successful there, you start your legal practice, uh, some things play out, you end up in Central Tech. How did you become a managing partner? So I think with, as with most people's journeys in law, it was not you know, linear for me, right? There are folks who, you know, started a firm and as an associate and then a senior associate and then moved to partner. Um, That wasn't my journey. 
I was so hyper-focused in my practice areas before I got to where I was at that it was, you know, I was just doing plaintiff's med mal. And as a young lawyer, I got nervous, you know, if this particular, and I was at a small firm. So if this firm owner decided he was ready to retire, my options for future employment were significantly limited, right? I knew one thing. I knew it really well, but I only knew one thing. And so that's why I shifted my practice and I was just doing corporate litigation. Um, and that was that was really, really beneficial, especially in the Houston market. Um, but ultimately, uh, a family matter made us you know, move out here to central Texas. And it was kind of a culmination of that experience that that focus in one area and plaintiffs, uh, plaintiffs work and focus in corporate work that really translated really well to a boutique litigation firm because it was just a marrying of all those skills, all that practical experience, trial experience, depot experience that really makes me feel at least uh, successful in this boutique litigation environment. So it wasn't, you know, I can't look back and say, this is exactly my path. But I think a lot of people in my position are going to say that, right? They didn't just say, hey, I started this firm and I just worked my way up and I'm going to retire here after, you know, 30 years of service. It's more of, you know, a lattice. You kind of take these zigs and zags that get you to where you're at. I hear you. That's the route that a lot of us have taken. Um, With that being said, let's just jump right into these war stories. That's what our listeners are here for. So we want to kind of talk about this in in three different aspects, so to speak, and one of which being as a new attorney in the practice. uh, The second will be as a mid-level attorney, and then the latter will be as a capacity and leadership, such as you are now as a managing partner type of capacity. So let's start off with your war story. Tell us, you know, let's set the scene here a little bit. I'm a new attorney. It's my first day on the job. Tell our listeners about a war story that you experienced as a new attorney practicing law and how you overcame that challenge. So I don't know if I overcame the challenge, but I learned from it. <laughs> um, so right. as a lot of our as a lot of our listeners know, as a young attorney, um, the opportunity for courtroom time is significantly limited and rare. Um, but I was doing I was doing plaintiff's medical malpractice in Houston and. Doing med mal in Texas is a challenge. And, and we had a motion set. And I wish I remembered the motion, but I don't remember it. But I remember the owner of the firm coming to me. He was like, look, Ray, I want you to go handle this hearing. We're going to lose. Just make a cohesive argument. We're going to lose. Just make the argument. I was like, okay, no sweat. So, you know, I'm doing all this research and I've got my notes and I got these exhibits and I'm, I'm ready, right? This is my first solo hearing. I know I'm going to lose, but I'm like, I'm going to make them proud, right? <laughs> so we go, I, you know, I go downtown and, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. And I clerked at the civil courthouse, but, you know, this is the first time here as a lawyer, right? I got the, I got the gold card. <laughs> um, so I remember, and they're calling my case name, and I stand up real proud of, you know, your honor, I'm here on behalf of the plaintiff, so I'm ready to move forward. So she calls us up. I give this impassioned argument, motion denied, counselor. I was like, okay, kind of knew I was expecting that, but taking your first L on your first uh, your first motion still a little humbling. <laughs> um, but I get back to the office. I was like, hey, Bob, look, you know, here's the case I presented here, my exhibits. You know, w- we lost. He's like, yeah, I know we lost. Just order a copy of the transcript. And I kind of just get this look on my face, and he looks back at me. He's like, w- what's the problem? I'm like, I didn't request a record for a second. I thought he was going to come unglued. He's like, what do you, what do you mean? You always get a record. 
well, I didn't know that, right? This is my first hearing. I didn't know you always got a record, especially when you knew you were going to lose emotion. Um, and that was that learning experience for me. It was going in with all this gusto and evidence and preparation only to get back to the office to, to answer the question of, sorry, boss, I didn't get the record. <laughs> I mean, luckily we were able to push through it, but that, that was the first teaching war story moment of my career. And I tell every lawyer I meet, always get a record. You hear that, listeners? Always request a record. As Ray was doing, putting together the, that proud argument and those exhibits and all the necessary information that he needed to be successful, he forgot one of the most important parts. So always request that record. All right, so let's set this next scene, Ray. We've now moved past the baby lawyer stage. We're now mid-level uh, attorney. Things are going smoothly. What's that next war story that you encountered so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you two i'm gonna give you a good one and a bad one so the good one is we're we're again trying a, a brachial plexus case in houston and you know defense counsel is has been in the game for a while i'm second chairing this trial and you know i really believe defense counsel during Vordire really got the jury with them, right? They liked him. You can tell it. And we were worried about it. He's charming guy, real nice guy, but halfway through the trial. And remember, this is a birth injury case. He's cross-examining the expert. And again, up to this point, momentum's probably in the defense, you know, on the defensive side. And he, he, during cross-examination of our OB expert, he lays down on counsel table. So he's laying on his back on counsel's table, lifts his leg up in the birthing position and looks at our expert and say, and is this is how she's supposed to lay? And I swear you could tell the jury's perspective of this defense counsel changed in a heartbeat. It just felt like the winds of momentum shifted back to us. And it was an example I give of just being half past cute, right? You can be charming. You can have these trial strategies in front of a jury, but you never kind of want to take it into the realm of being a little too cheesy or a little too corny. Um, and I'll just never forget the mental image of this older gentleman laying on his back with his legs in the air, with facing the jury box, looking at our expert, asking about birthing positions. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, so you hear that, listeners? The takeaway from this one, do not sabotage your own case, especially when momentum is on your side. That's right. You know, there, there's there's an expression in the trial world, and that is know when to shut up, right? And it's always know when to shut up when the judge is berating the other side. Well, in this case, he already had that momentum. All he had to do was stop talking. But it's hard when you're, especially when you're in trial, right? You, you're kind of, there's a lot of different factors that play, right? You're trying to read the jury. You're trying to read the judge, read the expert, read opposing counsel, read the witness. I mean, there, there's a lot going on, but there is a skill and an art to learning of when to shut up. Yes, your trial outline may have four more points, but you also got to weigh that against, have I already made my point, right? Um, because less is more in the world of a jury argument. And the second story I'll tell, this is where the opposite happened. We were trying a case in Bentonville, Arkansas. So that's, you know, home of Walmart, uh, Northwest Arkansas. 
were trying a, a brain damaged baby case there. And they, you know, their trial strategy was really kind of painting us as these big city Houston lawyers coming into our small town, you know, trying to make all this money and, you know, besmirch the name of our good doctor, right? And so this was trial day three, um, plaintiffs rested, defense called their first expert. And in comes this, I swear, this soap opera, good looking doctor, you know, nice wavy hair, white coat, you know, just good old boy doctor. And he comes just like half trotting down the middle of the aisle and just with the smoothest, like, you know, Arkansas accent to the extent there is one. She's like, I'm so sorry, judge. I was just a little late. I was delivering this baby. And I do apologize. And, I, and he looked at the jury. He's like, I apologize to you, good people. I understand your time's important. And I, my law partner and I looked at each other and we both just had that look of, we just lost this case. <laughs> no matter what this guy said, he was holding that jury in the palm of his hands. He could have said whatever he wanted and that jury was just going to buy it. Uh, and, you know, we had good experts and we had, you know, the foremost leading expert in fetal heart monitoring. And we had... OB experts from Boston Children's, you know, we, we had a strong case, but kind of tying in with that first one, it's just about being personable and authentic. And he was the most authentic person in the room. He was the guy who's delivered pretty much every baby in town over the past 15 years. And here we are bringing in, you know, Dr. So-and-so from Harvard and Dr. So-and-so from Boston Children's. And it was like, kind of know your audience, right? Know your audience. You're in Northwest Arkansas. You're not in Houston or Dallas or Austin. You're trying this case to, to a small town. And we, and we kind of, I'll say probably lost focus of that to some extent. We were so important, you know, so focused on the medicine and so focused on the quality and caliber experts. We lost sight of, we're talking to 12 people in a jury box from Northwest Arkansas. You know, they're not going to care about those credentials. They're going to care about more of the human element. And we lost focus of that trial. And we, and you know, I don't think rightfully so, but we did lose that trial. Um, and I think we lost it because we lost focus of, of who we were talking to, not what we were talking about. You know, Ray, that's another really good takeaway for our, our listeners here. Understand who you're speaking with and not necessarily always just focusing on the case that you're presenting. And that'll help you along the way. So we'll, we'll transition out of that mid-level attorney area and go into this leadership managing partner style, so to speak. Ray, can you share with us a war story that you've experienced as a managing partner? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it sounds more glamorous than it is, right? Like I almost consider myself, you know, a garbage man at this point in my career, right? You know, clients are dumping their garbage on us. I have associates dumping their garbage on us. I have staff members dumping their garbage on me. So I kind of view my current role as, you know, a garbage man, right? I take that waste, take it away and make sure everybody's got kind of a clean slate that they're working with, or at least a more focused slate. But what I'm doing now is more of the higher level trial work for my firm. So I don't necessarily know how if, know if I have a war story, but I, I will talk about the management side of litigation because you know my associates are the ones who are doing a lot of the legwork. I'll be honest, in most cases, they probably know the law better than I do, especially in those topic areas. Um, so I've 
really tried to focus on what I'm doing is incorporating those, those individuals into the trial. I remember as a young lawyer, I was doing all this briefing and all this work and I wasn't part of the trial, right? I was behind the bar. I kind of just was, was frustrated by that. And so I, I've kind of taken those learning experiences that I had as a young lawyer and I've tried to incorporate that into my management style. So the war story I have is, I mean, I've tried a bunch of cases now and each time you get more effective, right? There is a tendency to think that you're always going to be outworked or you're always going to be outthought. And I use that to motivate me. I still get nervous before every trial. And that's because I take what I do very seriously. Um, There are lawyers at the courthouse who view this as nothing but a job, right? Like a paid mercenary. I'll go in, I'll give this argument. I lose, I lose, I win, I win. Well, and and that may work for them. But for me, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I tend to internalize my cases, not to the point where I can't work with opposing counsel because, you know, I've been doing this long enough to know opposing counsel is not the enemy, right? We're, we're going to work together in the future, but take it so personally where I feel like it's, you know, if I'm doing family law, like it's my kids on the line, or if I'm doing civil, like it's my business on the line. And when you internalize to that point, to me, that provides clarity. It provides clarity and strategy that I can articulate to my staff of what our plan is. It provides me clarity to articulate an important point of law to the judge or important facts to a jury. So it's really just distilling every mistake I've made in my career now into a cohesive plan for each individual case on the docket, but also articulating that uh, to my staff. I was trying this case in in Lampasas County, and I tell all my clients, look, you don't have to worry about Perry Mason moments, right? You don't have to worry about someone busting in from the back of the courtroom with a document in their hand that's just going to throw the case all into a tizzy uh, because the rules, right? We, we're all playing by the rules. The rule book is not hidden. It's in the code, right? And so, you know, I'm doing trial prep with this client and we're talking about testimony outlines. You know, we're, we're, we're ready, right? So we roll in there and... Lampasas County is in the original 18 whatever hundred courthouse, right? So it really is a, an old school courthouse in Texas. And, and no sooner am I cross-examining my first witness, do the doors of the courthouse just bust open and someone barrels down the middle of the aisle and say, judge, I have something to say. And I, I mean, I swear my eyes got as big as saucers. Like I've tried a bunch of cases at this point and I've never seen this happen. And my client's shooting daggers at me, giving me the look of, you said this wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, you know, we're objecting and, and we're having this bench conference and, you know, I'm like, judge, you know, this, this witness wasn't disclosed, you know, all these nice legal objections. And despite all those wonderful legal objections, the judge lets the guy testify. And, and I guess the takeaway from this is, you know, judges control their courtroom. Right. We can we can control certain variables and factors, but ultimately what happens in a trial is whatever the judge wants to happen in a trial. Um, and so I've I've unfortunately had to kind of start incorporating that in my prep with my client. Like, look, here are the factors that we can control. Here are the factors that we can't control. Um, and one of those is now what the judge is going to do. Right. You can have the best legal objection in the world. But if the judge says overruled, you got to be prepared to move forward. And, and sometimes that's hard to do, even as a senior lawyer, because 
you know, again, you've done the prep work, you're ready for this trial. And all of a sudden a variable at the last minute gets thrown in and you got to adapt and you can't get upset at the judge, even if they're wrong, you know, arguably (laughs) Uh, you can't get mad at the judge. You got to kind of adapt and overcome because at the end of the day, your client doesn't care. You can't go in the ready room after trial and say, oh, geez, client, you know, we lost because the judge didn't really understand um, the rules of evidence or they really didn't understand hearsay objections. Client doesn't care. They look at the win and the loss and that's it. And so you got to be prepared to to adapt to these challenges as they present themselves. You hear that, listeners? Be ready to pivot, especially when the judge holds the cards. Yeah, I mean, and they they really do hold the cards um, because, you know, I have, as sure as you have, Reggie, I've lost cases that I were sure were slam dunks and I've won cases that I thought were tenuous at best. Um, and a lot of that is what is the judge going to let in and what are the judge going to exclude? And, and sometimes it goes in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. Thank you for sharing your war stories with our listeners today. I'm sure it's going to be super beneficial and very helpful for them as they move forward through their careers. Everyone, please tune in for our next episode on War Stories, Overcoming Challenges, and Learning from Our Mistakes.